You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swinging a high deep drive in the right field. That one's stalled to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't happened at Fenwick Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes a 1-2 pitch. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. High He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Wow! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Got it! 300 strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. High fly ball, deep in the left center field. Way back it carries. That ball is gone! The Red Sox walk it off in style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Fly ball to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out! The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru for this episode of the podcast. Keaton, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, man. Hot off a intense weekend in Maine, getting back together with some high school friends, and uh, we just drank and played baseball for the entire weekend. So I'm sore and tired. That sounds like a lot of fun, though. Did you get it after was. it? Oh, yeah, we very much did. Well, that's always good to do every once in a while. Um, so on today's episode of the show, we're going to be recapping some of our preseason superlatives, seeing how wrong we were. Um, we're going to touch on um, some of the guys going to winter ball. Um, we'll briefly touch on some of the things that Cora has mentioned about the upcoming offseason, and then we'll get to some listener questions. So let's just get right to it, Keaton. Um, in the offseason, we always do our superlatives. So this, our, this article came out on March 28th where we picked team MVP, best pitcher, defensive wizard, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and unsung hero. So, we'll just start at the top. Team MVP, you picked Mookie Betts, like everybody else, and I picked J.D. Martinez. I was the only person to do that. Um, I think we were both wrong. Um, J.D. Martinez did finish tied with Xander Bogarts for the team lead in WRC+. But Xander has the team lead in war and has been on the field for 149 games. I think he's probably the team MVP this year. Uh, We both picked Martinez. Did you? Yeah. Oh, you're not on this list. Nope, I'm not. 
That's what I, I was I think, confused about. <laughs> I think I joined right after. Yeah. So we we, I, we made our picks on a podcast though in early March, and so yeah, I had uh, JD Martinez, and you also had JD Martinez. You're right; we were both wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think I agree with you. I would. Yeah. I mean, it's really between him and Devers, right? You can't right. you can't give it to Mookie Betts with the first half he had. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I think this development, though, of Xander um, being the team MVP is one that we've been looking for for a long time, and um, one that's it's kind of nice to see that finally come to fruition. Uh, I think Chris Smith of uh, Mass Live kind of freaked a lot of people out the other day when I don't know if you saw this tweet from him, but he said that uh, he thought that um, Xander Bogarts would have the better long-term career prospects than Mookie Betts even at this point because of like his size and durability and position and people did not take well to that tweet yeah i i mean i don't (laughs) i don't blame anyone but i i mean i think it's kind of interesting to to see him as mvp because he actually fit a lot of the reasons that both you and i picked jd martinez we had both mentioned how much he also brings like in the dugout and in the clubhouse and being kind of like a de facto hitting coach while also being really freaking good. And we saw Bogarts really kind of step up and be that leader in the clubhouse this year. That not only he was was he performing incredibly well on the field, but he was doing a lot off the field for the team as well. And uh, both you and I picking J.D. Martinez for those reasons and then seeing Devers really emerge and doing the same thing is a great time for the Red Sox. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's it's absolutely huge, um, and you know those two guys taking step forwards really are the lone bright spots in what was a pretty rough season for the Red Sox here. Yep, that's for sure. <laughs> Just to put it lightly. All right, so our next category, um, yeah, so our next category was best pitcher and. I had Chris Sale. Who did you have? I also had Chris Sale. And everybody else who works at Over the Monster also had Chris Sale. Um, This one didn't go so hot for really any of us. Um, Nope. The, yeah, so Chris Sale did lead the team in pitcher war, even with Eduardo Rodriguez uh, doing what he did and having the season that he had this season. But I think... You have to give the edge to Eduardo Rodriguez for team MVP at pitcher. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, regardless of what sales war was, I don't think it's particularly close. This is a real easy decision to give it to you, Rod. I don't particularly like pitcher war at all. You have mentioned. Yeah. I saw your, your Twitter rants throughout the year. Yeah, it's just like... It doesn't make any practical sense. I get the whole, like, FIP argument. and You know, I, th- I think I particularly hate Fangraph's pitcher war. Um, I think I, I do like baseball prospectus pitcher war the best out of all of them. Uh, it seems to make the most sense. Um, but, man, do I really still value guys who pitch 190-plus innings, 180-plus innings. I just think that's so important because of the trickle down effect on the rest of the team. Yeah, and it's your point. I think it's it's mainly like most stats where you shouldn't take him in a vacuum anyway. 
you should add contacts through other numbers as you look at them. So it, I think it adds some information and tells a story, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah, I think that's that's right. Um, defensive wizard. This one was across the board, either Mookie Betts or Jackie Bradley Jr. picks. I did pick Mookie Betts. You picked JBJ? I did. Um, I think that the winner of this award was Christian Vasquez, though. You do. I do. So Fangraphs values his defensive contributions this year as 20.3 on their defensive metric scale, where second place comes in on that list at 8.2 for Xander Bogarts. See, that's who I was going to give it to was Bogarts. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, it was. I, I felt like... Um, he had taken a step forward defensively this year that, um, I mean, along with everything else, he really just his entire game took a step forward and defensively was one of the things where people, you know, early on in his career were like, he's not really a shortstop that tried that whole disaster of a experiment with him playing third. Um, and I said in, in that podcast back in March, when we did this the first time, there was, there was one person that picked Bogarts. And I wanted to mention that he's extremely underrated as a defender. So we made sure to talk about that for a little bit. But uh, I Vasquez didn't even cross my mind, so I didn't even look at how well he did. So I was I was planning on giving it to Bogarts. So, yeah, uh, of, of all the catchers in baseball, um, Vasquez was rated in the top five in terms of defensive value. I think he might have even been in the top three as well. All right. He really stabilized the position. That would be my vote. All right. Would you give it to? You would still give it to uh, to Xander. I think you. I think you swayed me. I'll, I'll give it to Vasquez too. Okay. Okay. But then just remind everybody again that Xander Bogarts is very underrated defensive shortstop. I agree with that. Um, biggest surprise. This one was sort of all over the place. Um, I had Jackie Bradley Jr. Who did you have? Blake, Blake Swihart. <laughs> oh. Whoops. Uh, so you were not completely way off, though. You, uh, Mike had that as well as the community. So, I mean, it's not like you were completely on an island there. Was it a surprise that he just got straight up waved? Yes. So I'm yeah, going to count that, it. That was shocking. I would I would almost give that one to you as a win. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I, I, it was correct, but it was the wrong way. <laughs> Okay, we finally got one that we're going to be correct on this year. And uh, that was Biggest Disappointment. We both called First Base Platoon. It was me, you, and the community are the only ones that got this correct. Oh, say the community are some smart folk. Yeah, and and you know what? This was the lowest percentage of community vote, too. So this is like a very tepid community vote. Only 18% of them voted with us. Yeah, it just felt like it was prime for a letdown um not as big a letdown as what actually ended up happening i assume steve pierce would have like some at bats throughout the year but uh you know moreland started off real hot um extra base hits for days the first month but then kind of as we expected just kind of plummeted yeah yeah it just uh it's not great 
not great in any any by any no. stretch of the imagination. It was really bad. I mean, Moreland has tried to make up for it in the last like four games, but you know, a little, yeah. little too late, buddy. Yep. All right, unsung hero. <laughs> this one. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> oh boy, I had Rick Porcello. My Rick Porcello infatuation gets me again. Who'd you have? Durbin Feltman. Holy shit. I bought into the fast track to the majors, and I thought he was going to be the savior of the bullpen, and it turns out no one could save the bullpen. So no one got Unsung Hero right for this. Nope. Uh, Matt had Steve Pierce. Brian had David Price. Uh, I had Rick Porcello. Michelle had Ben Intendi, and then three other people had Jackie Bradley Jr. No one got that right. I don't really think there was one. Maybe Brock Holt? Yeah, I would agree. We, we have to give some props, though, because um, on Biggest Surprise, Michelle and Mike C. did get Eduardo Rodriguez. I think that was accurate. Yeah. Um, no one got Defensive Wizard or Team MVP or Best Pitcher. So as a group, I would say we failed spectacularly at this this year. Yeah. And you and I, we added two more to this. Ooh. We had Minor League Riser and Minor League Faller. Ooh, what'd we say? What'd we say? You absolutely nailed the riser. Okay. You had Jaron Duran. Oh, woo! That's really good. That is really good. And I had Jay Group, which is wrong. Okay. You know what, though? Not that wrong. He pitched at the end of the year. I'm going to give you, like... He did. I'm going to give you some props, man. And the reports on on uh, Groom are that his, his body is in wicked shape right now. Guy worked out good. like a bastard. Good, they'll need it. But Duran is absolutely the right answer there, though. Yeah, I'm really proud of myself on that one. Yeah. Wow. I don't know where the hell that came from. <laughs> Minor League Faller, you had Tanner Houck. Okay. And I had Brian uh, Mata. Ooh. I think I could make an argument for Tanner Houck, considering he is no longer a starter. Yeah, that fits. I don't know that I would technically consider him a faller, but I think that when you're a first-round pick and you're no longer a starter, that's not good. Yeah, I agree with that. That's, yeah. Brian Mata, though, had a fantastic season. He did. Yeah, I uh, I was really bad at both of those. Well, but, guys. You know, it happens. Um, <laughs> you know, it just... Listen to me about prospects, apparently, uh, at least for Red Sox prospects. and Listen to the rest of us uh, about nothing uh, when it comes to actually determining how the Red Sox players are going to do. But you know what? I think this whole awards thing, in a nutshell, was sort of appropriate that we all bombed it this season because the Red Sox completely bombed this season. So, um, you know, if the Red Sox were going to be a good team, like we kind of thought they were going to be, and I think we all thought that they were going to win the division and, you know, make the playoffs and win 95-plus games, you know, Mookie Betts was going to have to be the team MVP. Um, Chris Sale was going to have to be the best pitcher. Um, all these things that we wanted to happen um, and thought were going to happen would have had to happen for that to have worked. Yep, and probably a little bit more help than just Sale being Sale on the the starter side, because that just 
that actually you could make a a pretty solid case for biggest disappointment being the pitching staff. Oh my god, starting pitching, absolutely. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, aside from Eduardo Rodriguez, that unit has been absolutely miserable. And um, Matt and I were talking about David Price, who it, since you guys have last listened to this, he has undergone surgery or he's undergoing surgery on Thursday to remove a cyst in his wrist. Um, he's going to be basically on track to have a regular offseason, it seems like. But David Price has not pitched um, 200 innings since the very first year he was here in 2016. He hasn't particularly come close since two years ago when he threw 176 innings. Um, I'm very concerned with him going forward for the rest of his, the remaining three years on his deal. Yeah, me too. We should be. And especially with, um, I mean, I think it's a good thing that he's getting surgery on his wrists and he's uh, not just going to try and rest it and hope that it'll be fine like they were originally planning to when they were mulling the surgery in the first place. But, I mean, if this is something that's going to continually nag him, then he's never going to be able to get through a full season ever again. And that's not great for the money that is slotted to him over the next few years. No, and you're paying David Price to be um, to be David Price. I mean, you're paying him to be an ace for your team. And when he's not doing that, um, that's sort of a big deal. And, and just to give um, everybody an, an indication of how David Price's repertoire changed as this wrist issue uh, continued to get worse, um, in September... David Price threw 31% four-seam fastballs um, and 28, almost 29% sinkers, only 17% cutters, and 22% change-ups. Uh, that is significantly different than what it was earlier in the year. He clearly was affected by the ability to you know, throw off-speed stuff effectively. Yeah, and we talked on a previous pod about um so we had a listener question about trading price and we we thought that it, i mean at least i thought they were probably going to try and then not be successful but i think we had both kind of figured the red sox would probably have to eat like half the money mm-hmm. if that was the case yeah that might be more with him having worse surgery they might actually have to eat close to all of it if they wanted to trade him away Oof. I don't know. You really think so? Yeah. I mean, an aging pitcher with injury concerns who has a buttload of cash slotted yeah. their way, that that's not easy to trade. <laughs> Unless you don't have to pay him. Yeah. I don't know if I'm quite... I- I don't know if I'm quite ready to go there. I do think that he's going to be on a normal timeline. Um I don't think he's the type of player that if they did trade him, they would trade him till fairly late in the offseason, until somebody knows what what kind of timeline he's actually operating on. But it is worrisome. Um, and if you break it down by category of pitches, though, for David Price into hard breaking and off speed, uh, his hard hit hard, his hard pitch percentage increased from April. It was sixty seven percent. May sixty nine percent. June. 71%, July 75%, and then it went all the way up to 
in September. So that crept up all year long. And just to give you an idea, I mean, that that was a similar mix to what David Price was throwing when he was really bad, when he was having his bad years. So it's not what you want. No. Need him to be healthy. And yeah. not sure that's really going to be the case going forward. Yeah. Um, all right, Keaton. Winter ball. Yeah. Talk to me about winter ball, guys. Winter ball. Well, most notably, Michael Chavis is going to be playing winter ball in Puerto Rico, and he is going to be playing in the outfield, which is something you predicted was probably going to happen um, a few pots ago about him slotting into the outfield somewhere. Seems like uh, Red Sox have the same mindset, and they're going to give him some run out there, which is pretty interesting. You know, it is interesting, and this is clearly insurance for if they trade one of their outfielders. Yep, that was the first thing I thought of, too. Yeah, and I mean, shit, man, doesn't that just make it all that much more real? Yeah. I suppose um, my, I guess my first thought was JBJ, not Mookie, but you're right. That, that probably wouldn't make nearly as much sense. Ugh. Yeah. I don't like it, dude. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, mean I like just it. just beginning. <laughs> but I don't like it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess at least... Silver lining, it, it probably indicates that they will be relatively more active this offseason than they were last year, which is good. But I don't want to see him go, man. Yeah, I don't want to see him go either. Um, man. I'm not ready for this discussion yet, Keaton, so let's push that one off. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, who else is headed to Winter Ball? Marco Hernandez is headed to Winter Ball. He's actually going to play... Uh, in Puerto Rico as well with Chavis, and oh, I, I think it's a Cagas, huh? yeah, I think it's a pretty good move. Uh, I think he's a good choice just based off of the lack of at bats that he's had in the last couple of years, uh, just to get him more at bats. And especially, I mean, you brought up at one point just giving him a second base as a whole, letting him run with it as an everyday player. And I think how he performs in winter ball would actually go a pretty long way in whether or not the Red Sox felt comfortable doing that. Yeah, you got to think that right now with how he's performed offensively, they don't feel comfortable with doing that. But if he, you know, looks like a more complete player um, after getting more playing time in winter ball, maybe that changes in the spring if he has a really good spring training. Right. Yeah, it's definitely going to set the foundation for his role heading into next year. I still think next year I like him best as a bench player. Uh, I'd be a little bit worried. Uh, given his injury history, lack of experience, and sort of underwhelming offensive performance, if they went in the to the year with uh, with him as a second baseman, but I guess you know if management decides that this is going to be a bridge year, um, it's not the worst thing in the world. No, no, that's true. Um. All right. Uh, you talked about some comments that uh, Alex Cora has made about the offseason, which I found kind of interesting because you you seem to point out, and I think pretty accurately, that there was a little bit of a tone change uh, within his comments. So can you kind of give us yeah. give us some idea of what, what that is? And, and maybe it was the case last offseason too, but I didn't. there was nothing that I saw from Pete Riders or anything that really kind of indicated it. 
and especially not spring training and how spring training was handled. But in Cora's first offseason, um, when he was hired to be the manager, he visited every single player on the roster, either um, in Boston or wherever they were, and kind of introduced himself and talked about what the plan was and offseason and all that stuff. He was really hands-on and active. And I don't remember that being the case last offseason. It was really kind of about we just had a really long season, won the World Series, let's kind of soak it in and take some rest, especially when we got to spring training. We're all very well aware of how that went. And so um, Chris Cotillo wrote on Mass Live about some comments from him that sound a lot more like his first offseason, where he identified folks that um, he's going to stay in very close contact with throughout the offseason. Andrew Benintendi being one of them, uh, Travis Lakins and Mike Schwarren, uh, he mentioned specifically those two as well and how he's going to be monitoring them closely, which was a bit of a surprise to me <laughs> that, that those two in particular were on his radar, but uh, maybe he's looking for something specific from them, but um, he noted that from, and this is quoting him now, from workout programs to nutrition to working on um, fastballs up or whatever. It's going to be interesting. I'm not saying we're going all football-style structure. The way the game is going, we have to be on top of it. Uh, you have to be. If you don't pay attention to them in the offseason, they might gain a few pounds. Then they're behind, and it'll be all over the place. So that seems like a stark difference to how the entire, really probably, organization handled the offseason last year to this year. Uh, and it sounds a lot more like the offseason from his first year where he was all over the place talking to everybody checking in on workouts and things like that it seems like i mean the offseasons in the past couple years were very different and they yielded very different results it seems like this is going back to something that he thinks might work and be a much more active offseason for everybody instead of passive which I would expect them to carry over into spring training and should be very aggressive in how guys are being pitched and hit throughout spring training. It should look, based on these comments, it gives me the feeling that it's going to look a lot different than it did a year ago. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that, Keaton. And uh, I think that's a, a point that's really well taken. Um, Cora is learning too, man. Like he's known nothing but success in his short tenure as bench coach and manager i mean dude has two world series in like three years of being involved in baseball uh it's pretty remarkable and i think that you're absolutely right he probably just kind of rested on his laurels a little bit after last year and he's getting back to what he knows works and what he does well is managing people um it's interesting because in the offseason, one of the guys that was really underwhelming in the spring was travis lakins who was supposed to be you know, a potential contributor in the bullpen and has looked better as the year has gone on, especially here in September. Um, but maybe Travis Likens came in in just complete shit shape, uh, which is why his velo was down in the spring training as much as it was. And it seems like he's going to be on top of him. But the thing that kind of frustrates me about that is like when you're asking baseball players to take incredible care of themselves over the offseason especially your minor leaguers and you're paying them like 40 grand a year like how do you expect these guys to you know 
eat perfect and like work out perfect and like do all these things when you literally pay your minor leaguers nothing. It's just such a broken ass system. I get like wanting David Price to spend, you don't know, a hundred grand a year on upkeep for his body or something like that, but you know, these guys, man, like they should pay these guys a living wage. God damn it. Agree, hundred percent. Or at the very least, work out something with Tom Brady and T B twelve. They opened one up in Boston now, so get all the Red Sox there. Seriously, like, if you're going to pay these guys peanuts, like, at least pay for food that you want them to eat, workout plans that you want them to do, trainers, masseuses, like, supply all that shit. Because I have a feeling that, and, you know, I, I do have, you know, a friend who has pitched in the major leagues as well, and they're very much on their own for a lot of their off-season activities. And it just seems like if there if there's a new moneyball frontier, it is treating your minor leaguers like you treat your major leaguers. That's the new moneyball. Yeah, that's a great point. I really hadn't considered that. I just kind of I guess didn't really look beyond the surface of, you know, guys just being in the off-season, but that is a great point. <laughs> it's 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 not cheap to stay in shape. And when you're not paying them and then you're disappointed in the shape that they're in, it's kind of on you too. Yeah. <laughs> they can only absolutely. do so much. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, thoroughbred racehorses, like, just get to do whatever the hell uh, when they're not racing, you know? They're being fed and worked out. and Yeah. Crazy. And Crazy fucking stuff, man. Making new racehorses. Yeah. Doing, Tough life. Doing that whole stud fee thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, um, shall we move on to some listener questions? Sure. All right. Our first one is a four-parter from... Oh, wait. Uh, oh. Didn't you want to talk about starting pitchers? It's a listener question. Oh. Then never mind. <laughs> <laughs> our, our first one uh, is a four-parter from Kaysen Sirois, um, who has given us many questions over the last uh, few podcasts, so thank you for being back again. And he has four four parts to this question. Part one, could Theo come back? Part two, who might the Red Sox target this offseason? Part three, will Daniel Evangie be fired? And part four... Thoughts on Frank Wren and Eddie Bain leaving, but Tony LaRusso staying. Number one, could Theo come back? No. I Well, I mean, I guess he could, but I don't think it would be with this same Red Sox ownership. I don't either. Um, I think... I don't know if you saw this article... Uh, and I just linked it to you, but it's the one that Buster Only came out with today on ESPN. Um, but it was an article basically, you know, saying that candidates are going to be a little bit reticent to work with this ownership group that has been very impulsive uh, over the last few years. And I think that there's a lot to that. And as Pete Abraham pointed out uh, today, as we are recording this with the sort of chain of promotions that has happened with Mike Rickard getting promoted and then a few other guys below him. If you want to hear more about that, check out uh, today's Locked On Red Sox episode with uh, Matt Collins and myself. We talked about that kind of extensively there. But 
you know, all, all of this kind of points to the fact that the Red Sox are going to choose somebody internally. And I think that that's probably the way to go because right now an external candidate who's in a good spot like Tampa Bay or Oakland or something like that probably doesn't really want to take the risk on this position. No. And a handful of them, um, whether they did it themselves or their teams took the choice out of their hands, kind of leveraged it into more stability. Um, one that comes to mind is Mike Hazen in Arizona. Um, almost days after Dombrowski was released, Arizona had extended him to keep him right where he was. And I don't know how much of that was his doing or how much that was Arizona just not wanting him to even take an offer. But um, there's a couple other potential candidates, too, that got locked up um, right after. So it's, it's interesting to see this, the overall waterfall effect from letting Dombrowski go and seeing where the, just the team in general kind of goes from there. Yeah, yeah, really. It's going to be fascinating to see what ends up happening with who's, who's hired. But I think that Theo is just, he's not going to want to deal with these guys again. No. Um, number two, who might the Red Sox target this offseason? Well, we, we brought up a couple of these guys um, on Locked On because we were actually on together. We talked about a couple of the first base and second base options. We like Jose Abreu at first base, but he's probably a little expensive. Uh, at second base, we really liked Scooter Jeanette, uh, Brian Dozier, and Jonathan Scope. Um I doubt that they're going to go outside of the organization for both of those positions. Keaton and I sort of settled on the fact that second base is the position that they're sort of most likely to go after in the offseason. Yeah. We had pegged... uh, We both liked Scooter, and I can't remember the second one off the top of my head. Uh, You liked Jonathan Scope, second best. That was it. And I liked uh, Brian Dozier, second best, so... Yes, yeah. we'll, we'll see. If a lot of good options there to do that. Yeah. yeah, there is. I mean, there's a few other names that we can mention here, real quick. Uh, Starlin Castro is also available. Mike Mustakas and uh, Ben Zobrist will presumably be available as well. So, some interesting guys. Um, and in the outfield, I assume that if they're working Chavis out there, it's because if they make a move, they're going to want to play Chavis there. Um, but there's also some interesting names out on the outfield market. Uh, a couple ones that are probably going to be out of their price range. Yasiel Puig, Nick Castellanos, and Marcel Ozuna. But guys like Alex Gordon, Adam Jones, Juan Lagares, Leodis Tavares, uh, Cameron Mabin, Cole Calhoun, Avisel Garcia. Uh, all those guys are going to be free agents and could be relatively cheap fill-ins if somebody does get moved. Yeah, Garcia is actually an interesting one. He's been pretty underrated at every stop he's been at. He's been a pretty solid producer. He's a good bat, mediocre fielder, but uh, someone who you could imagine playing left at uh, Fenway. Yeah, absolutely. And we will save the pitchers for our last question. Uh, third part of this question, will Dana Levangi be fired? I actually don't think so. I think that the coaching staff on the Red Sox is going to get a mulligan on this season. Dana's yeah, I think so too. Forever. Yeah, uh, and he hasn't really spent a ton of time as the pitching coach, right? This was a second really, year. Yeah, so I don't think yet, but um, I feel like going into next year, there's a lot of guys in the coaching staff that are going to be on the hot seat, and he's definitely one of them. 
I totally agree. After next year, this is a completely different discussion if things go poorly again. Yep. Um, Frank Wren, Eddie Bain leaving, and Tony La Russa staying. I was surprised Tony La Russa is staying. I was not surprised to see Frank Wren and Eddie Bain leaving because those were the right and left-hand man of uh, Dave Dombrowski. They think like him, operate like him. I do understand the logic for keeping Tony La Russa, which is that he has experience in baseball almost unmatched by anybody with how many years of management and then, you know, being in the upper management and all, I mean, basically every job in baseball, Tony La Rosa has held. Um, but I still think it's a little odd and I, I can't help but thinking he feels slightly out of place now. Yeah, I think so too. And it's, it's interesting because the night that it happened, it was reported that I guess it was just at that time though, but they had, uh, put out that Dombrowski was going to be the only departure and that specifically named Frank Wren and Tony La Russa as guys that were staying. Uh, and so I guess that was just for a few more weeks. So I, I would not be surprised if, and I kind of expect La Russa to be out as well. I think both of you and I expected that La Russa and Wren were not going to stay with this organization. It was kind of interesting that that first night it was put out there that they were staying. Uh, and maybe that was just a, in the moment that night we haven't made a decision, so they're still here. But I, I expected both of them to be gone. I think it's just part of that terrible firing process that was just poorly conceived. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Um, next question comes from Hector Los Mismos de Siempre. And he says, apart from Romero, who do you want as a GM candidate? If you had to pick one, Keaton, apart from Romero, who would be your number one choice? Oh, man. I'll give you mine while you're thinking. Okay. My number one would be David Forst of the Oakland Athletics. And my thinking here would be finally the ownership gets to get their guy who they can put in this position and leave him the hell alone for the next 20 years. Like, I want a Brian Cashman type situation where you are just letting this guy develop and operate. And I just don't know if this ownership is capable of that. So I think it's a complete long shot. Yep. Um, I came up empty, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, you might not have anybody that you're, like, super excited about. Yeah, um, I don't. Uh, at least off the top of my head. If I put some more effort into thinking about it, I can probably have someone for the next time we record. But... Uh, on the spot, uh, no one's coming to mind. All right. Well, the last question that we have today before we go on and get out of here is from Keith Kaido, and he says, who replaces Porcello in the rotation next year? So I don't think they're going to go for any high-priced names, um, but I did come up with a list of guys who may be affordable to the Red Sox, and some of these guys will cost more than others. Some are more likely than others. And so I'm going to read the list off right now, Keaton, and uh, out of this list, try and pick three names that you think are sort of the most interesting to you in terms of on-the-field performance, price and affordability, and sort of likelihood that they'll get chosen. Uh, so number one, uh, and these are not in any specific order, uh, Homer Bailey, Marco Estrada, Kyle Gibson, um, Cole Hamels, 
Rich Hill, Dallas Keuchel, Ivan Nova, Jake Odorizzi, Martin Perez, Miguel Pineda, Tanner Roark, uh, Michael Waka, Alex Wood, and Zach Wheeler. I, I wrote five down. All right. So you asked me for three, I said five. What you got? Uh, Keiko is one. Okay. Um, he's actually been doing a lot better with the Braves than I anticipated him doing, um, particularly with missing the first half of the season. We had seen a few guys, I mean, Kimbrell being one of them right now, who didn't you know, join until midway through the year, and it just completely fucked up everything they were doing. And they just had a disaster second half after they finally signed. That hasn't really been the case with him. He's actually been pretty stable. Um, and I, I wouldn't mind taking a chance on him if the price was right. And I think because he's, he's had a pretty decent run with Atlanta, he, that might price him out of the Red Sox range and where they're looking at. But if it was something reasonable within you know their price range for a pitcher, I think he would be my number one. Then uh, I had Odorizzi, Wheeler, Wood, and Waka. And I know you're probably not going to be thrilled about Wood because he's always hurt and he doesn't throw 240 innings. <laughs> um, uh, he's still young enough and his stuff is still good enough that I would take a chance on him, though. Wheeler, Wood, and Waka. I like Wheeler a lot. Um, Wood... And Waka, I like about the same. I think Wood is better than Waka. I think Waka is slightly more durable. And I also think Waka is interesting. I kind of like Odorizzi. I, I kind of like those two better than even Keuchel. Because I think that Keuchel has pitched himself into a situation where he might be priced out by the Red Sox. Right. Yep. So, yeah. I don't know. I kind of, but Wheeler, Wheeler's going to be expensive too, man. Yep, he probably is. Ah, man, out of this list, I, I like Odorizzi a decent amount. I also like that he's a fly ball pitcher, um, which plays into the Red Sox outfield strengths. Um, and I like... Not so much in New York and Toronto, though. No, not so much in New York and Toronto. Um, I also have always kind of liked... Kyle Gibson as a cheap alternative. Um, and he's having an okay year this year. So I wouldn't hate seeing him as a fifth starter. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't wouldn't be upset about that. Can I mean, we just I guess, say we're likely to be underwhelmed by whoever they choose? Yes. Like, very underwhelmed. Yes. Agreed. Unless it's Keiko. And then we'll be How are you feeling about Evaldi going in next year? Ugh. Uh, not good. Um, man, I don't, I can't even remember what my take was on that, but I just think that that contract was so stupid. It was just such a dumb contract. This guy has done nothing in his career aside from like be pretty good, uh, down the stretch for the Red Sox and then amazing in the playoffs. And he's, literally parlayed that into a $17 million contract. I don't know how this happened, but he's a lucky man. Um, I think the Red Sox will be lucky to get 
four and a half ERA out of him for 150 innings. Yep, that feels about right. And that's not good, man. That's not a $17 million pitcher. No, it isn't. That's a bag of poop. <laughs> well, then I guess it would be Evaldi that would be taking Porcello's place in the rotation. Boom! Ooh, that hurt, man. <laughs> Had to end the podcast like that, huh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we hope you enjoyed this edition of the show. Um, stay with us throughout the entire off season. Uh, we aren't going anywhere. We might be a little less frequent, but uh, we definitely will still be with you, especially as news breaks. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Def Jake. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. You can uh, interact with us there. We always appreciate chatting with you guys. And so thank you very much for joining us and for the download. And uh, we hope you'll subscribe to the show. So thanks a lot. And uh, we'll see you later.